the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider. I hope the summer is treating you well and that you're not suffering too much from the extreme heat enveloping so many parts of the world. Now, in the interview segment this week, my guest is Jesuit Father Michael Maher. Father is a native of Milwaukee, a scholar and an expert on the Belgian-based Society of Bollandists. Named after the Flemish Jesuit Jean Bollandus, the Bollandists are an association of scholars and historians who, since the early 17th century, have studied the lives of the saints. This week in Part 2, Father and I talk about research, how to distinguish between fact and legend in the life of a saint, and the challenges that must be overcome in research, such as knowing ancient languages, or even how to read penmanship. We also talk about the amazing, unique Bollandus Library. By the way, Father Maher is a good friend of EWTN's Father Mitch Pacwa. So stay here after the news. Now the news highlights of the week. In July, Pope Francis does not hold the weekly general audiences, but he does continue to receive people, send messages, etc. Sunday, July 10th, at the Angelus, after reflecting on the day's gospel with the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square, the Holy Father renewed his appeal for peace in Sri Lanka, urged constructive dialogue and reconciliation in Libya, and called once again for an end to the senseless war in Ukraine. He also prayed for seafarers and their families, as he recalled Sea Sunday, observed on July 10th throughout the world. Monday, July 11th, Pope Francis addressed a letter to the Ukrainian Greek Catholic bishops as they hold their synod on the theme of synodality in Poland, and he reiterated his closeness to the people of Ukraine at this difficult time. Francis urged the Ukrainian Greek Catholic bishops to be shepherds of their flock and to be close to the faithful entrusted to their care, giving them courage and hope. The Ukrainian bishops are holding their annual synod in Poland due to the ongoing war in Ukraine. Also Monday, Pope Francis, in a message to the European Union Youth Conference taking place in Prague, the Czech Republic, encouraged young people gathered there to present to the world a new face of Europe, one that is inclusive, educated, and not afraid to reject violence as senseless wars are fought all around them. He highlighted the importance of educating young people to create a better world. Tuesday, July 12th. Pope Francis sent a message to members of the Latin American Episcopal Conference as they opened their plenary meeting and as they inaugurate a new office building, urging them to use it for common good. The Holy Father wrote that we must not forget that our material structures only make sense when they're intended for the service of those who inhabit the most extreme peripheries of life. He said, remember to be vigilant in the face of the three idolatries that always threaten the path of God's faithful people spiritual mediocrity, the pragmatism of numbers, and the functionalism that leads us to be more enthusiastic about the route map than the route itself. These are temptations that do not tolerate mystery and aim at effectiveness. 
Wednesday, July 13th, Pope Francis sent a message to participants in a Vatican conference in which he urged all nations to work together to reduce carbon emissions and to help people adapt to climate change. The Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences, in fact, is hosting a two-day conference at the Vatican's Casino Pio Quarto on the theme, Resilience of People and Ecosystems Under Climate Stress. The phenomenon of climate change, said the Pope, has become an emergency that no longer remains at the margins of society. Instead, it has assumed a central place, reshaping not only industrial and agricultural systems, but also adversely affecting the global human family, especially the poor and those living on the economic peripheries of our world. Also Wednesday, Pope Francis appointed 14 new members to the Dicastery for Bishops, including two nuns and a laywoman from Argentina. They are Sister Raffaella Petrini, Franciscan Sister of the Eucharist, Secretary General of the Governorate of Vatican City, Sister Ivan Reungot, former Superior General of the Daughters of Mary Help of Christians, and Dr. Maria Lina Zervino, Argentinian, President of the World Union of Catholic Women's Organizations. In a recent interview, Pope Francis had said he would be appointing women to the dicastery that vets candidates for the episcopacy and sends names to the Pope for his possible selection. Thursday, July 14th, in his address to the members of the Order of the Mother of God, the Basilian Order of St. Josephat, and the Congregation of the Mission, as they all hold their general chapters, Pope Francis underlined the importance of evangelization, saying it should be oriented towards witnessing and proclaiming the gospel. He said that even though by their nature charisms are different, and it is the Holy Spirit that creates and distributes them, charisms, as St. Paul teaches, are all for the edification of the Church. And since the Church is not an end in itself, but its end is to evangelize, it follows that every charism can and must cooperate in evangelization, and this must be kept in mind when making discernment. Also Thursday, Pope Francis expressed his condolences on hearing of the death at age 98 of Italian journalist Eugenio Scalfari, the founder of the Italian newspaper La Repubblica, which he edited for 20 years. Over the years, the two had had a number of conversations, excerpts of which, as his memory recalled them, were published by Scalfari. Matteo Bruni, director of the Holy See Press Office, told Italy's ANSA news agency on Thursday that Pope Francis learned with sorrow of the passing of his friend. He cherishes with affection the memory of the meetings and the deep conversations on the ultimate questions of humankind that he had with Scalfari over the years, and he entrusts his soul to the Lord in prayer so that he may receive him and console those who were close to him. Those are the top news stories of the week, but now stay tuned for my conversation with Father Michael Maher as we talk about the lives of saints and how one does research on a saint. I'm Roy Brown, Executive Director for Billings Catholic Radio. Catholic Radio is arguably the greatest tool for evangelization. Radio has the power to speak directly to individuals and creates a sense of one-on-one fellowship. There is no better way to evangelize than through a relationship where we can share and bring the love and joy of Christ to another's daily life. 
The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. By providing quality programming faithful to the teachings of the Catholic Church, EWTN is television that viewers can trust. Whether it's films, documentaries, news coverage, lively discussion shows, or kids' programs, we highlight the truth that is the eternal word. For a complete schedule of EWTN television programs, visit EWTN.com and click TV. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day when I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Jesuit Father Michael Maher, a scholar and an expert on the Bollandists and the lives of saints. As we heard last week, the Bollandist Society is an association of scholars and historians who since the early 17th century have studied the cult of the saints in Christianity. They're named after the Flemish Jesuit Jean Bolandus. This week, Father and I talk about research, how to distinguish between fact and legend, and the challenges that must be overcome in research, such as knowing ancient languages, or even transcribing bad penmanship. Studying the lives of saints, there's um, a bit of legend. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of truth, but there's a bit of legend. But sometimes truth, or not sometimes, always truth is more powerful than legend. But how do researchers, how do you know how to separate what in the past we might have a legend says that Saint so-and-so did thus and such? So basically the fundamental event of doing a research is how do we look at these forms and we see similarities in forms And then when we look at that form, and then when we see something different, we can say, ah, maybe that's what we would call the the truth. So, So we would ask ourselves, is the story of the prodigal son true? Is it true or is it false? Even when I ask the students that, they'll say, well, it's a story with the moral. I said, but is it true or false? And and you can see they're kind of fidgeting because even they understand that there is the story and the truth behind the story. For example, in the United States, we're great storytellers, and the story of the Western, you know, sure. Gunsmoke. You know, I'm getting old, you know, we can't use that, I, I, Gunsmoke I, anymore. I remember Gunsmoke. Well, yes. you know, there were the black hats, there was the white hats, oh, and, sure. and, and so there were these sort of predisposed methods of telling a story, yeah. and, and then the plot road on those forms. Right. And so one of the things scholars do is they sort of separate the form from those things that are different from the form. Absolutely. So it demands a lot of cultural study to understand what were those cultural forms of storytelling. Now, to go back to the, the actual research itself, I, one of the things that fascinated me <clears throat> with some of the problems that you can you can encounter in research, such as old languages, 
that one has to either you know learn or or there can be penmanship. Oh. That, that, that that would be one of the worst I would imagine. I, I uh, penmanship. I'll tell you a, a story. I took a course here from uh, Father Reginald Foster on what we call. Oh yes, yes, the Latinist, right? From Milwaukee. From Milwaukee. From Milwaukee. As is Cardinal Harvey and myself, so all the Roman greats are from Milwaukee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, it was a course in what we call paleography, and that's how to read old Latin Languages. handwriting. Mm-hmm. And I did fairly well. And so people said, well, have you had this course before? And I said, no, no, I taught high school and I had to read sophomore handwriting. Oh, sure. And so, so paleography, and one of the things that is difficult about paleography is that, you know, everything had to be written with a quill in ink, and so there were no pens. That's a 20th century invention. It was an ink pen. And sticking a bird's feather in a pot of ink and trying to write, so they would write in abbreviations. Oh. Let me give you let me give not? you a little lesson in abbreviation. Okay. What would you say if you saw a seven with a B R E over the top? Okay. A brethren, well, I have no idea. No. <laughs> well, you know from Latin or Italian septe, sept. Seven, yeah. With the B R E would be septembre. September. Oh my god. And so gosh. an eight with a BRE would be Octo Oh October, October oh. and a nine would be Nove the November. The oh my god. So when you see this, or then it gets tricky, you see an X with a BRE. Of course X is ten, ten in Latin and that is Dieshi is ten. December. Oh, December, see, because not 12. That, you see, October, November, mm-hmm. December are references to an older Latin calendar, which okay. got all mixed up in the Middle Ages. So, Dieschebre dies is the, actually the 10th month, but it got inverted, so Oct- October, November, December, 8, 9, and 10 are, are, are a reference to an older Latin calendar. But anyway, so that's a little lesson in paleography. But now, now tell us about the institute itself. I mean, you spend some time mm-hmm. there each year. You're you're obviously in Rome now. Mm-hmm. What what was your visit to Rome for? Just my to my be visit to Rome city? is is uh, I do research for my own research, and currently I'm working on a project. Some of your listeners may be familiar with a group called the Marian Sodality Movement, mm-hmm. the Marian Congregations. My larger research project is this. Any group of people has a bright idea, you know, like Mother Angelica, yeah. right? Okay, but that bright idea has to be has needs a structure. So her bright idea is evangelization, right? Sure. And so, what's the structure that she makes? And that is EWTN. So what I look at is Jesuits have ideas about education, about spirituality, and I'm interested in the structures that the Jesuits create to implement their ideas. And particularly I'm interested in how the Jesuits work with lay groups of people. Many people mistakenly think that the first time the Catholic Church ever worked with the laity is after the Second Vatican Council. Boy, is that wrong. Wrong. That's a whole other interview. I can tell you more stories about that. So that's what brought me to Rome. But my interest, of course, in, in helping the Bollandists is that their work of storytelling helping them understand the truth, especially in an era today when fake news and bad news is so prevalent. 
Well, Father Michael, tell us something about the library itself. I mean, I've gone online, but um, even what I heard Irini uh, um, talk about, it's like 500,000 <coughs> volumes? Oh, let's put it this way. If you are a scholar of the Middle Ages or any type of librarian, and you're wondering what heaven looks like, it's the Baldus Library. Oh. It's like, you know, you have to understand that every book is a story. And historians, if they're good ones, love to tell stories. And we like to hear stories. So you look and you'd say, when I die, I'll be able to read every one of these stories. And the ending about that library is, when I look at that, I, I kind of got goosebumps and I said to myself, the tremendous amount of scholarship that our faith encouraged. Yes. That, that I don't think people realize and you know what's interesting when I take non-Catholics to Rome they're impressed with the beauty of the faith and the scholarship of the faith I mean you got the Catholic Church was the inspiration for universities oh, for yes, hospitals well, for clinic, for so much if you look at the double movement of the Catholic faith it's apost apostolic work it's actually it's three it's the contemplative life it's care for the sick and education and and that really has been how we have that's our face to the world and so the Bollandists tell that story and and it's important to go back and recall the importance of this work for the church that the Bollandists tell a story and they continue to tell the story and they really need support to tell that story sure. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud, even in a small way, to be able to tell that story uh, to uh, people. Create that awareness. Create the awareness of the stories of our saints. Because we go back to the idea of a society is known by its values, and a society's saints represent these values. So if we want to know the Catholic Church, we look to its saints because these are the men and women that, re that reflect our values, and that story needs to be told. Oh, exactly. Now, I know that the Jesuits, because you all have been in charge of this, they, this, they were suppressed in, I have forgotten, 1773. We just okay. celebrated the anniversary. Oh, right. And how did that affect the work of the Bollandists? Well, interestingly enough, uh, the countries where the Bollandists were in, they saw the need for this continued scholarship, and uh, we found different headquarters. Uh, the Premons Tetentrans housed the Bollandists for a while, and uh, the work continued. And then after the Society of Jesus was restored uh, in 1814, 1812, uh, that it uh, came back then under the jurisdiction of the Society of Jesus. And uh, that was actually uh, one of the great patrons of the Bollandists was the Belgian government. Oh, good. And uh, so now, of course, um, the needs of the Bollandists continue. And is there a number of saints? I mean, <laughs> if so, how would one? Uh, would only the Bollandists know? Because no, only God knows. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> you know, there's you know, uh, someone. I was on an interview uh, in Milwaukee, and they said to me. How do you make a saint? And they said, uh, so he started explaining, and the guy goes, Whoa, Padre, this is kind of complex. Can you just do it in five seconds? And I said, Sure. 
if you can explain to me how the NFL draft works in less than five seconds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, okay, okay fair right, enough. Right. So um, you know, there are thousands. Uh, what's important to realize is that saints occurred probably before the our year, the, uh, the year 1200, as what we call in Latin the acclamatio. They were common saints of the oh. of, of communities. A voce. I yes, mean, a voce. it was the voice we want we should remember when John Paul died. Subito <clears throat> Sancto. Exactly. And the saint immediately. And so as you know, <clears throat> after the year one thousand when the northern invasion sort of calmed down and there was a greater structure to the church that we saw in the high Middle Ages. There was greater codification, you had the Lateran councils, you had the birth of universities. It's not surprising that with this greater codification that occurs within the church, that we see a greater codification of saints. Sure. So, for example, uh, St. Francis of Assisi was uh, canonized two years after he died. Yeah. So we see this codification as part of a larger codification that comes with the extension of the, the church's authority. Well, today the thing is that, the, you know, if a person, I think the number is 50 years, um, 50 years after a person, there's people around who aren't witnesses to the life of a person. You might have someone's writings, mm-hmm. but um, so some of the requirements that the congregation, or now dicastery, um, has for, you know, on the path to sainthood have changed. Oh, yes. It's, uh, you know, then there's the stages, the servant of God stage, the the uh, beatified stage, right. and then this, this full sanctity. And uh, each one of these stages now are quite rigorous as technology and methods of, of uh, documentation have advanced. And so most saints now who are canonized tend to be after the French Revolution, though they are important. Sure. The person that sort of, uh, the joke was he, he made heaven a little bit more crowded was John, John Paul, Paul II. <laughs> and there was some criticism, but what John Paul did was he realized that there was definitely a prejudice towards white Italian males of noble families. Right, yeah, or possibly Spanish. Sp- possibly <laughs> Spanish, <laughs> getting into heaven uh, as a saint, and John Paul said, really, we all need examples, and these examples have to be examples that make sense to us. Well, he told the congregation, he said, please look for lay people and And, look for couples. And couples. There are, I know them, there are saintly lay people out there. Because he laughed and he said to them, people think that you have to found a religious order or Um, be a martyr to become a saint. And he just wanted to say, hey, you know. No, and, And so he really made the church more accessible. Uh, in that, in, in, in who we have as saints. Oh, I forget, you'll have to help me. The, the, the young man who is beatified now. Carlo Acutis? Yeah, who, yes. who did all this web work. <laughs> oh, I know, and the Eucharist and daily mass and the rosary <laughs> so, yeah. and just this. And, and so that's something now that young people can say, hey, I can do this. I can work on web sure. and promote the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We just have to bring sanctity down to our level in, in the sense that it is possible. Okay. You know, we, we don't have to be thrown to a lion no, in, no. in order to wear that halo. But well, you, can, so, you, you can do something that's even more difficult. You can teach catechism to nine-year-olds. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> you, are, you know, I, I think Or twenty nine year olds. Twenty year and and the idea of sacrifice is that it, it it's where we don't expect it and it's in the smallest things. I think the uh, the uh, Teresa of the little flower and Teresa of uh, Calcutta both remind us that uh, and the great work of the Bollandist is that sanctity is found in everyday life. Well, you know, we only have about two minutes left, but um, tell me who your favorite saint is and why, and or did you discover something in your research when you went, oh my gosh, I never knew that. <laughs> Who's my favorite saint? Uh, well, of course, um, I, I like St. Ignatius. So I of would course, think I so. I would think so. Yeah. Um, but it's also, there's something about Francis Xavier of just the sheer audacity of saying, I have to go out and convert Asia. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's yeah. just sort of this just going out there. But I, I love St. Ignatius for his great clarity. And, uh, for example, St. Ignatius says uh, in the first principle and foundation of the spiritual exercises, men and women are created to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by this means to save their soul. And that the things on the face of the earth are created insofar as they help us to attain the end for which we are created. And therefore, our goal in life is to understand how to use creation. And, it, and so that opens up, that's just, and that's why we take education as a Jesuit. So for me... That kind of helps me understand Pope Francis um, when he talks so much about creation. The, the, Obviously the, preserving God's creation, but now I understand if, if you want to understand that the whole goal of our life is to make good decisions about creation. And that's why the Jesuits went into education. And that's why the Bollandists do their research, is to help us understand Jesuits in terms of how we understand creation. But the Bollandists say, here's how some men and women got it right. Right. But that has to be such an edifying work. Just picking up, I've got a number of books on the lives of saints, and just picking those up, reading those, you, you might do it more during Lent or something, it's so edifying. So, Father Michael Maher, I really appreciate your time and your insight into this and, and the amazing work you do with and for the, the Bollandists. So, thank you for sharing that with us. Well, thank you. And I just, I can I take this opportunity to say hello to my dear friend Gary Zagalo in Spokane, Washington, who, Joan, is your biggest fan. Oh, well, hi, and, how are you? <laughs> and uh, you have so many fans in the United States, so I just want to mention one. And thank you for supporting the Bollandists, and for all of you who are listening, you can go onto their webpage and find out more about them. And thank you, you EW10, for all your great work that you do. And a hi from both of us to Father Mitch. Uh, yeah, you know. Hi, Mitch. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, thank you and God bless. And I'll be putting a link up to the uh, picture of Father and a link to the Bollander site on my blog when I announce this interview. So, thank you and God bless. And thank all of you. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, Go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.